Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 15. You can find it on page 1130 in our, in our pew Bibles, the gospel of Matthew chapter 15. We'll pick up reading at verse 21. 21, and we'll read through verse 28. Let us hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us this afternoon. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Let us also uh, find in our catechism... Lord's Day 7, it's on page 34 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 7 regarding what is faith. And um, you see the connection to the passage. And we'll use that also in our explanation of the passage in this afternoon. Question 20. Are all men then as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? Answer, no. Only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by a true faith. Question 21. What is true faith? Answer, true faith is not only a certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Question 22. What is the necessary for a Christian to believe? Answer. All things promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith teach us. And then we've confessed that at the beginning of our service in the way of the Apostles' Creed. Thus far, Lord's Day 7. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our catechism here is transitioning by showing us our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong both the body and soul, in life and in death, 
to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We have witnessed that there are certain things that we have to know. There are things like our misery. We have to understand who we are and who God is. But also, especially as our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we could look at in Lord's Day 5 and 6. But how do we receive the blessings of this Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ? How do we receive the blessings of the mediator? It is through a true faith. A true faith. And we recognize that, as our catechism points out very clearly, that all men are not saved in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. But only those who are engrafted into Him, connected to Him, and have true faith. That means that they are united to Christ. They are connected to Christ. They're, there's this connection like an like a instrument that channels blessings. You can think of um, an umbilical cord in a mother's womb. How that umbilical cord is connected to the baby and feeds and nourishes the baby. There's a connection there that the baby can receive all of the strength and nutrients from the mother through that umbilical cord. And so also in way of faith we are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ where we receive all of the blessings of all His work, His finished work of salvation. And that connection includes a certain knowledge, as our catechism says, and an assured confidence. A certain knowledge not just that we know about the Lord Jesus Christ and know about God, but that we also agree with who God is and who we are. It's an acceptance of the biblical knowledge as being truth. The biblical knowledge of God and man. And through that acceptance of this truth, we have an assured confidence. It produces in us an assured confidence that we know for sure that Jesus Christ is able to save me. Not only others, but me also. Unto everlasting life and salvation. And the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to teach us this faith. He wanted to illustrate this faith to us in so many places in the Gospels. Sometimes he would go far out of his way to do so. Even drawing from people from outside the covenant community to reveal what true saving faith is. You notice here in chapter, four, in chapter 15, if you look at the context, you would recognize that Jesus is showing the disciples and us today that true faith is in contrast to that of the Pharisees and all of their rules and all of their traditions These Pharisees who had great knowledge, who had lots of works, but their faith was in their status and their works rather than Christ. Their faith needed to be in Christ, needed to connect them to Christ, but rather it connected them to their traditions. We find even in the chapter before that Jesus was teaching his disciples about faith in Matthew chapter 14. 
And there we find that he fed the 5,000 and then he went up to a mountain to pray and the disciples are going across the sea and they come into this storm. And here Jesus appears on the sea and Peter, he wants to go out to him. As the Lord Jesus Christ appears walking on the water, he says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he says, come, Peter. And Peter gets down on the boat, and he walks on the water to go to Jesus. But then he took his eyes off Jesus. He saw the wind and the waves. He saw his circumstances. And he began to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and saves him. And they believe that he is the Son of God. And so he's continually instructing his disciples who are so slow to understand, even as Peter is called, oh, you of little faith, why would you doubt? He wants to teach them and to teach us today what true faith is as we come to verse 21. He wants to show us and exemplify and demonstrate what true saving faith is. And he does so to someone who is not from the covenant community. Someone who is a Greek, a Syrophoenician, as we find in Mark 7. A Canaanite woman, as our text says. And this woman, she had a great problem. She probably wouldn't have been one who you would say had great faith. Because she had a great problem. As a matter of fact, her daughter was demon-possessed. Severely demon-possessed. This demon had taken control of her thoughts, her words, her actions. You can imagine the outburst of this daughter every single day. A mother couldn't take this burden any longer. And she heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. She heard about his miracles. She heard about the biblical knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he was to come from the line of David to be a son of David, to be the Messiah. And you see her coming to him, trying to hold herself together as she's crying out for mercy, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She believed that what she had heard about Jesus And she's coming to him in true faith. And even as she endures all of the trials of the silence of Jesus, of the disciples pushing her away, of Jesus even apparently rejecting her, she continues to press on and to plead with the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, clinging to him, vowing never to let go. I want to see this with the theme, true saving faith demonstrates, first of all, a certain knowledge. And we'll see this certain knowledge that this, that this Canaanite woman had. Secondly, this true saving faith demonstrates a humble acceptance to this very truth in order to produce, thirdly, an assured confidence. 
True saving faith, then, first of all, demonstrates a certain knowledge. Notice this Canaanite woman. You would say, how would she know so much about the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe she's heard about Him, but she comes to Him and says and addresses Him as, O Lord, Son of David. She had to have known something about Him. And she's crying out to Him for mercy. So she had to understand something that He's been given as a Messiah that He could help her. She knew that and trusted that the Lord Jesus Christ could help her. She knew Him as the Son of David, the promised Messiah, the one who had come to crush the head of Satan, the very demon that had the grips of her daughter. Lord, Son of David, help me. Have mercy on me. You notice something here? She has a knowledge of herself. She has a knowledge of the need for help from the Lord. It's humble. She didn't have anything to bring. She didn't say, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a good person. She didn't have... Say, have mercy on me because I've done this and this and that in your name? Or because I have such great faith? Have mercy on me because I'm doing my best? Have mercy on me because I just need a little bit of extra help to finish healing my daughter? No, she she needed a full Savior. She needed a complete Jesus, a complete Savior. She needed him to do everything. Notice she didn't just need him to heal her daughter. She needed him personally. Have mercy on me. Help me. I think if it was me bringing my daughter, my child, to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be praying, Lord, help my child. Severely demon-possessed, Lord, I need your help for my child. But here this woman is saying, Lord, help me. And we have a lot to learn from that. We have a lot to learn with identifying with the sins of others, even as we intercede on behalf of others. Because we need to acknowledge our own sinfulness and our own brokenness. Even as we pray and plead on behalf of others, we need to understand and come alongside them and and, and identify with them in their affliction. Their affliction needs to become ours because sin is the consequence, is the consequence of affliction. You see, sometimes it's so easy to pray and intercede for others as if we have it all together and they need the help. But this woman doesn't do so. She comes and she casts herself at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, help me. It's my sin. And I'm unworthy. I'm even unworthy to intercede on behalf of others in their affliction. You see, there's no room for pride In this kind of faith. It's only coming to Jesus with a heartfelt humility and reverence. 
because you know who you are. Unworthy of his blessings. That's the knowledge of who he is, a knowledge of who you are, and a knowledge of the scriptures. She had enough understanding of the scriptures to be able to address him properly. She had enough knowledge of the scriptures to come to him, trusting in him for help. And she had enough wisdom and knowledge to know that she could take his words back to him. Even as Jesus says, I was not sent to the, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She still comes to him. Lord, help me. And when he says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs, she says, yes, Lord. There it is, Lord. I'm going to take that very truth back to you. Because even the little dogs receive crumbs from their master's table. She knew how to plead God's word back to him. Truth, Lord. Yes, Lord. However you want to translate it. I know I'm unworthy. But even those little dogs, they can eat crumbs from their master's table. Isn't that really what we do when we take the promises of God back to him in prayer? In faith. It's to, as we could hear this morning from Hebrews chapter 5, it's to not only be fed by the milk of the word, but the solid food of the word, and to be able to take God's word, and to take it back to him in prayer, and plead with him. And when we don't even know what to pray for, and we don't know even if we have true saving faith. We can, we can plead with God and, and we can remind Him of John 14. That whatever we ask in Jesus' name, He will do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, He says, anything in my name, I will do it. You can say, Lord, you have promised that when I pray in Jesus' name, when I pray in your name, that you will accomplish it. You will even give me faith. You will give me repentance. You will cause me to grow in faith and in knowledge of who you are. We take his promises back to him. We say, Lord, help me. And because you said you have helped, be pleased to answer. That's faith. It's having that knowledge of his word, a knowledge of who he is, and a knowledge of who we are. But that true faith, it also demonstrates a humble acceptance to that truth that we find in his word. Because notice this woman, she agrees with who she really is and acknowledges who he is. She is someone who's completely unworthy of any of God's blessings and yet she knows that Christ can certainly help her. And the testing of their faith is so beautifully brings this out of this humble acceptance to this truth. Notice the testing of Christ here of this dear Canaanite woman of faith. 
The first thing he tests her with is his silence. Verse 23. She comes to him, pouring out her heart to him. And he answered her not a word. He said, Pastor, but you just told us that Jesus hears and he answers and he promises if we take his word back to him, he's going to answer us. We can trust in him. And he answered her not a word. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he's testing her. He wants her to mature in this faith. He wants to make sure it's, it's legitimate faith that's given to her, true faith, so that he can commend her. Great is your faith. He answered her not a word, testing and trying her. And then, if that's not enough, the disciples have come, and they urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. I'll try to give the disciples the benefit of the doubt here. Certainly these disciples wanted Jesus to just heal her daughter and send her away with the blessing, right? So that they could be done with her and they would no longer be embarrassed by this Canaanite woman crying out after them. Well, maybe that's true. Or maybe they just saw her as a nothing, a nobody, a little dog who was unworthy of the Master's time. Maybe they didn't have any ear for the cries of this woman. What an embarrassing truth when we sometimes, as parents or office bearers or leaders of a land, would not hear the cries of our people. Is that like these disciples? Just get them out of here. Push them away. We don't want to hear it anymore. It's an embarrassment to us. It's an embarrassment. Just deal with it. I don't know if that was me, but coming to a church like that, I'd probably be turned off and not want to go back. Yet she perseveres. She comes and she worships before him. Even after Christ says, I'm, not only, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's enough, right? You have your answer. And as she comes and she worships him, the Lord makes it abundantly clear that he's rejecting her, right? Listen to these words in verse 26. He answered and said to her, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. I think that would be enough for all of us. Because remember... Even though we have little dogs around our table and they're sometimes treated as good as children in our households, a little dog in those days was like a varmint, like a coyote, maybe like a pig. They had no value. They were a nuisance. They were unclean. Jesus is saying, you varmint. 
have no business in the children's bread. That would send us home by nature. But she doesn't go home. She takes that little word, little dogs, understands that's who she is, a nobody, an unclean, unworthy. And she takes that and pleads with the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, even the little dogs receive crumbs. She accepts who she is. How much different isn't that than the young rich man who came to Jesus wondering how to have eternal life? Matthew 19. Jesus says, just sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor and follow me. Give it up. Give up your life. Give up your status. And you will have a status in the family of God. He couldn't do so. He had many riches. He couldn't humble himself. But this woman had nothing to lose. A little dog. You see, it's God himself who makes a difference in these situations. Because even though Jesus may be testing and trying her faith to show the disciples how great her faith is, yet underneath, this woman was the hands of an everlasting Father who was carrying her, who was strengthening her faith. And there she emptied herself. It's like Jesus is holding her off in a distance with one arm and gathering her with the other as he's testing her faith, purifying it. Isn't that what the testing of faith does? It helps us to humbly accept who we are and who God is. Isn't that why James writes in James 1, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it works patience. This testing and patience, it will be left with its perfect work. As it refines us and causes us to grow in knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Sometimes, maybe you also feel as if the Lord Jesus Christ is pushing you away, silent, that the, that the food, that the meat of his word is not necessarily for you, and yet, at the same time, he's drawing you to empty yourself and to come, complete, come just as you are, to confess who you are, to confess you're a failure, to confess you're unworthy, to confess even that you're hell-worthy, and yet to confess that he is a sufficient Savior for a sinner like me. This woman begged for a crumb. She was willing to be called a dog. I wonder if we look at our own lives. I wonder if we 
just really truly examine our own hearts? Would we be too proud, too self-righteous to accept anything other than the lowest place in the kingdom of God? And if that's true, does it show in our church life? Does it show in our family life, in our spiritual life? Do we believe that we're entitled to be one step higher than the lowest place in the kingdom of God? Then we won't be asking for children's bread. We'll be pleading for a crumb from the master's table. And that might sound as if Faith thinks God is a stingy God, but that's not true. That's not true. This woman did not think God was stingy. She did not think Jesus was stingy. She's coming to Him to do great things, to do a miracle, and she's confident that He can heal her daughter because great faith does not minimize God, but rather it exalts Him. And it even confesses, as as she does, that a crumb is more than she deserves. And yet a crumb, a crumb from an infinite God is more than all the blessings of this world has to offer. Because a crumb from God who is infinite and do infinite things in our lives. And she pours out her heart. Not to think that God is stingy, but to to praise Him and exalt Him for how great He is. But the only way to do so is to let go of our pride, our self-righteousness. You know, she rejoiced in being a dog so that she would receive a crumb. And what Jesus is doing here is he's drawing out the fact that this woman had such an assured confidence in him Notice what our catechism says about that assured confidence. It says, This assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation, are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. You see how he's exposed that indeed the Holy Spirit is, is, is upholding this woman. That the Holy Spirit is exposing who Christ is for. That salvation is not only for others, not only for the house of Israel, but for her also and for her daughter also. That there is salvation. And it's not given because of anything in herself, but it's given by grace and for the sake of Christ and His work. That's this Canaanite's assurance of her faith. And as the Lord Jesus Christ exposes it, He confirms it by saying, O woman, great is your faith! Because what happens when those who confess the Lord Jesus Christ He also confesses them before His Father 
who is in heaven. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is confessing her before, her fa- before his Father and her Father in heaven. He's confessing her before his disciples and before us today. Woman, great is your faith. You can almost sense the joy that must have filled the heart of this woman to hear these words. That even her desires will be fulfilled and her daughters healed even that very hour. A joy must have filled her heart. Does the same joy fill your heart as you examine your faith? Do you have a certain knowledge of who God is, of who you are? Are you assured of that confidence? With confidence that that indeed He is a Savior, a suitable Savior for someone like you. I think if we read this passage, no one would think that this woman had such great faith. It doesn't matter if the fact has been scratching her head, wondering if she had faith at all. And yet Jesus is saying, Woman, great is your faith. How do we evaluate faith? How do we define faith? Well, Jesus is demonstrating it here. And as we examine our lives in contrast to it, do we have to say our faith is no faith at all, little faith, or great faith? If it's no faith, flee to Him today because He does grant faith, little faith. Desire to grow in grace and in knowledge of Him that your faith might be strengthened. You say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. If it's great faith, praise Him. I don't know too many people I would ever say they have great faith. And the reality is this. That the strength of our faith is not necessarily the greatness of our faith. The feelings of our faith are not necessarily the greatness of our faith. Because we need to remember that our faith needs to be in Jesus Christ alone. That's what this woman had for hope. And that's who she clung to. It's Christ. You see, we can have really strong faith in a weak object. Right? Let me use an illustration. Imagine between us and God there's a gulf. And there is. And to get across that gulf, we have to cross a bridge. That's the object. And so you could come up to that bridge. It's a well-structured, very good bridge. And you could look at it with suspicion and not trust it. And it will never take you across the other side. And then, on the other hand, you could come up to a bridge that is very weak and tattered. Might not even go across. And you got to jump halfway across, Stephen. But you could have strong faith in it. 
And you take a step on that bridge and it collapses and you perish at the bottom. What would you rather have? I would rather have a weak yet confident faith in a strong bridge that takes me across than to say I have great faith in a broken bridge that would never get me across. The same thing goes spiritually. The Lord Jesus Christ is that bridge that will get you across. The only bridge that will get you across. Your works will break down and you will crash to the bottom. Your status as born into a covenant family will not get you across. The fact that you've been able to be discipled all of your life will not necessarily get you across. Someone who puts their trust in Muhammad will not get them across. But when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man, no matter how strong or how great that faith looks and feels, You are secure in Him. You can have an assured confidence. Because the confidence is built and resting upon pillars that are built upon His Word, upon His Gospel, upon His promises, upon His work, and they will never fail. It will certainly get you across. Because faith rests in the object of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will certainly cause you to persevere to the end. Despite the fact that the Lord tests our faith and matures our faith, even through afflictions and trials, when we trust in Him, who is the perfect author and finisher of our faith, we will certainly, certainly be commended on that day. Great is your faith because of the object of our faith. And so let us not cast away our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for in Him there is great reward we read in Hebrews 10. And let us know that His reward is coming with Him. And on that day when our faith will be sight there will be no more crumbs from the Master's table but a full feast at his table forever. There will be no more tears of sorrow and of trial. There will be no more silence. There will no longer be testing. There will no longer be the anxiety of wondering if Jesus is rejecting us. He will welcome us into our eternal home with him forever. And it's all because our Lord Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, He has been afflicted. He has wept tears of sorrow. He has experienced the silence of God. He has even experienced the rejection of His Father so that we would never be rejected because we're connected to the eternal Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
That's a faith that is saving. It's a faith that will endure all troubles, all trials. Is that your faith? I'm saying how strong it is. I'm asking if it has a great object, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we recognize so often we need to be reminded of the simplicity of faith. That in the Lord Jesus Christ there is everlasting life. And it's not found anywhere else. Now we can trust in you for that. We can lean on you. That you, O Lord Jesus Christ, have made the way clear and certain. Lord, as we cast ourselves upon you this, this, eve- this afternoon, we pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith. You would strengthen our faith. And maybe for those who are with us who don't have faith, Lord, that you would give them faith today to see the emptiness and the brokenness of their life without you. And Lord, forgive us For often being like those disciples who just wanted to do away with this woman. Forgive us for not listening to the cries for help. Sometimes from our children. Sometimes from the members of our congregation. Sometimes for the hurting and the marginalized in our society. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us as a nation. And grant true faith.
faith that is willing to take the place of an unworthy sinner before the greatest master in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.